Hello and welcome to another episode of Positively Deviant Emergency Medicine. Today I'm here with Marnie Benjamin. She's a physician at EPA. EPA is a group that covers a bunch of hospitals in the Twin Cities and surrounding areas. EPA has had a strong presence in emergency medicine in the Twin Cities for a bunch of years. 50, I think. Marnie's at Methodist Hospital in St. Louis Park, Minnesota, and she also practices at Hutchinson Hospital in Hutchinson, Minnesota. Marty's been a strong presence in emergency medicine in the Twin Cities, and I think everyone could learn a thing or two from how she's run her life and how she approaches medicine. So as my little kiddo would say, okay, now that is enough. Let's get on with the interview. Marty Benjamin, welcome to Positively Deviant Emergency Medicine. Thank you for having me. I am very excited to have you. Um, just for everybody out there, uh, it so happens that we trained in the same class together m- not that many years ago. Yes, it was. Really? Yes. A lot we of don't years look ago. it. <laughs> we both haven't aged a minute. No, not at all. No. Um, but yes, long ago, we were both residents at Regions. Um, we have a few stories from that. I remember some different different times there but right now we're at ASAP and uh, we are sitting in a hallway in the Colorado Convention Center while another six or eight inches of snow f- falls out yeah University of Denver canceled classes today they did mm-hmm. that doesn't happen very often no it doesn't now you have a Colorado history so you're That's not what, totally I went, I, went, I went there and I think over the four years we only had one snow day so it's a pretty rare occurrence yeah that's um that's pretty rare, although there's been more cold cancellations in Minnesota now, but I don't know if that's happening as much in Denver. Yeah, I don't think so. I think it's more snow. I was born across the street from University of Denver. My parents lived there. Really? Yeah, like on High Street. So it's both of our old stomping grounds. Kind of. was. We moved when we were six months, but that was <laughs> so a little... So crawling grounds. <laughs> yeah. My mom went there too, so that's part of it. Uh, anyway, enough of that. Uh, so thank you for uh, sitting down with me after with about a day's notice, right? And I asked you yesterday. Yeah. And you're like, mm, okay, let's do it. Because you're pretty much up for a lot of things. Always. Yeah. So uh, we, I wanted to just get into more of the details around uh, your community practice. Because right now you are at Methodist Hospital and Hutchinson. Yep. And... Uh, no, those are my two main, main ones. medical practice locations. And can you tell me a little bit about your group? I know the details, but... Uh, yes, I work for a Democratic EM group. Um, we actually just celebrated our 50th anniversary. Yeah, that's pretty solid. So, yeah, so we're one of, we are one of the very early groups, um, still Democratic. Um, we have grown exponentially. Um, you know, we, we had our core five hospitals for quite some time, and then now more recently... Um, we merged with North Memorial, yeah. um, and then we've also taken on some some smaller hospitals like Cambridge and Hutchinson to kind of help with staffing of that. And then we also just before North came on board, we took over St. Cloud as well. So we're we're kind of spreading out, and you know we have quite a bit of APCs and docs. And yeah, I used to know all the docs, and now it's I not yeah, even possible. not even possible. Yeah, and has that. Uh, I mean, a lot of where that goes is to like the values in your group, right? And how you like integrate new members over time, particularly when you merge with another group or a a single hospital. Has that been, have you noticed a change in your group at all or has that gone pretty well? Uh, It's gone, you know, it's, 
as you grow and you become larger, your voice then becomes more diluted. Yeah. So I think that there's some frustration of the older docs who were used to the smaller group where they had more of a say. Yeah. Um, so that's been a little bit of a difficult transition. And then we just recently changed over our scheduling software. So there's a lot of grumbling about that. And oh. we have less autonomy and less um, less of our personal preferences taken into account. So yeah, it's, yeah, and your the schedule, schedule is, your, the schedule is everything for emergency medicine. It really is. Yeah, yeah that's, um, oh, there's so many places you can go with that. But we, that and, and now since most people use some kind of software, it yeah. has almost some level of black boxness everywhere. Like, I don't know how to yeah, put the inputs so sure. the outputs. And I was the scheduling liaison for years from yeah. my shop. And so I would go over everybody's schedule to make sure that, you know, it was a doable schedule and, you know, took into account their preferences. And then after we merged, we went to a different software system and it's, uh, it's been tough. Yeah. <laughs> like you'll go two weeks without a shift and then you'll have, you know, 12 shifts in the next two weeks. And so trying to find that balance and trying to tweak the schedule and the preferences in the computer system has been, it's been a challenge. Yeah. And you kind of get to some steady state with some system and then you do something like change the software and then all of a sudden yep. what you thought was locked down now is thrown out and it, you have to rebalance it. It's tough. It's kind of like going live with a health record, I think. Like right. a, you think you got it all figured out on paper and then you force And then like, there's oh, and, and then there's every upgrade to take it. And then yeah. every upgrade. <laughs> yeah. Every other in merger and integration there. Um and so with you you've been with the same group since you left residency. I have. And has that been I was just talking last night with somebody else and just really this perception of like if that first job were you, did you know pretty quickly that that was where you wanted to be a long time, do you think? or um, No, not necessarily. Like, And I still really miss trauma. Like, I, uh -huh. That's the one thing that um, my current job doesn't give me enough of. Yeah. So I really, I, I miss trauma. Like I got to put a chest tube in a couple of weeks ago for a hemothorax and you know, two, like, le it was two liters of blood. It was everywhere. It was on my shoes. And I was like. Oh my God, I was on cloud nine. I was uh. so excited. I, my partner who was doing the sedation was just laughing at me because I'm like, oh, I just don't see this anymore. So, uh. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, and I, I think everybody struggles with that, right? Like they get some slice of practice that just, that maybe was in their residency or something that they just can't get access to. Yeah. And you're not going to get it all, no matter what right. job you find. Like you're going to give up something. Yeah. Um, so you just, you just, you just have to take the good with the bad. Yeah. So in those early years with this group, but particularly with your own clinical practice, do you remember like those first few years out where you were trying to figure out where you stood within the group, how to deal with consultants, um, how to be productive, how to um, do other things? Or Yeah. For me, that those first few years were a complete blur though. I mean, I was just trying to hold everything together. You know, I had, yeah. I had a, I think... My son was two months old when I started my job. Um, yeah. And then I was trying to figure out how to get away to pump and still see enough patients. And it was just a blur. And then, you know, four months later, I got pregnant again. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just like, oh, my God, I'm just trying to keep my life together. Yeah. Um, it, it, you just do it. You know, I don't, I don't remember exactly if there were any tricks that I did but yeah. you know I, I asked a lot of questions of my older partners and yeah. you know it it's great to be with a good group of docs where you they're always accessible and you could say hey what do you do that 
you know, for this kind of patient or, hey, I just had this really difficult consultant that I work with. Like, give me hints of like how to deal with this guy because this is tough. And so there were a lot of mentors that I sought early on when I started there that were were really great in making that transition and finding a group that is really going to help those new grads along um, because you don't want to go to somewhere that, you know, here you are, you're on your own. Yeah. And that's where... Uh, I think it's too long ago to probably ask you that, but I, I, but I know that when you're trying to find those first jobs, I think the advice I've given, and I wonder if you would, like, you can't assume that first job will be, you'll figure it out before you work there, right? You kind of have right. to just work there. You do. And you, you don't talking to people who already work there, especially some of the newer hires that have only been there for a couple of years. Those are the best people to talk with about like, hey, how was your transition? Like, yeah. did you feel like you were really helped along or did you just felt like you were thrown in the deep end? Yeah. Do you get a sense now? I don't know about your group or specifically, like, is there a formal process for trying to help people transition in? We or? actually do assign them a mentor. You do? Um, yeah. Somebody kind of younger, um, kind of in their similar, you know, life experience phase. Okay. Um, so yeah, so I'm not, so kind of purposely so I'm not one of those mentors now for the no. young women joining my group. <laughs> but that, but that's part of it is yeah. like the group is like, cause even me asking you what that was like years ago is part of like that recall and that presence, like things have shifted since you've oh, been there. I mean, I had paper charts when I started. I mean, yeah. so yeah, it, it was just a different, it was a different world than it is now. So when you brought up your pregnancies and so all of your kids were delivered while you're in this job, right? Yeah. Yeah. My first one I had at our third year of residency and then, and then yeah, a couple more after that. And did you sense a change even over that time around, or was it pretty much the same? I just had to do it and figure it out for myself. Maybe that's not, that's overstating. I like figuring it out. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of it's just figuring it out. I mean, after my second kid, my husband decided it just was not very feasible to have my crazy schedule that was a full contract and then him trying to work around my lifestyle. So yeah. he stopped working after uh, my second was born, which which helped a lot. Yeah. And um, did that work for both of you? Short term, long term, not as much. Yeah. Uh, but I think having family around especially when you have young kids is so, so important. Yeah. Like that's in terms of the job search, that's probably the number one thing I'd recommend to people is like, you can't underestimate how important having family around is when you have really young kids. Yeah. Cause they're the ones that are going to help you out in a bind. And yeah. with young kids, you hit binds, they get sick, your yep. schedule changes. So that was invaluable. So, I mean, I'm not too keen on Minnesota weather and <laughs> I don't, <laughs> but his my husband's parents live here, so yeah, and they were so they invaluable. were part of the immediate support system. For oh the yeah, kids. they were huge, yeah. and you know, like I could actually go on vacation, you know, and yeah. actually get away from everything, and knew that my kids were super well cared for, and yeah. just to get that mental break was huge. Yeah, I mean, and that's where that trying to figure out how to have that because I've I've talked to a lot of you know families both some on this podcast, but others where you really are trying to figure out how does this emergency medicine career connect with being in a, like raising a family, how, um, how that, how particularly how that partner is part of that equation. It it feels like it has to be a really active conversation as, because, because if you just assume it's going to work, it usually 
doesn't. It doesn't. Might, like you have to adjust it. As yeah, well, and it changes it. as yeah. you know, the different phases. Like it's different when your kids are in school versus not. And, right. And then when you have teenagers, well, yeah, that's even worse than toddlers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And how do you, like, do you have a sense of at all how your kids perceive your your career at this point? And that's a kind of a uh, weird question, yeah. I think. But they think I work really hard. Do um, they? Yeah, but you know, they also don't see me just hanging out during the day while they're at school. Yeah, um, they just see me leaving for work, you know, in the evening or yeah, late, or you know, mom's sleeping, mom's sleeping. Yeah. So there'll be times where they're totally quiet in the house, thinking I'm sleeping and I'm not even home. So. Yeah, and so getting to this point where your kids are starting to become self-regulating machines to some point, will, will mm. you go that far? I have two teenage boys; they're not very self-regulated. Yeah, well. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so well, whatever that is, like, do you get a sense that like you're getting them where you kind of hoped you'd want to given your career and, um, yeah, I definitely, you know, I mean, that that's one thing that's kind of tough. Like I'm not there to help them with their homework a lot of yeah. evenings. And so I don't think they're as good of students as I would like them to be, especially yeah. my two boys with ADD and, you know, I hate homework anyway. So it, it, it would have been nice to have, you know, a, that kind of either a nanny or my husband who really sat down and said, okay, let's do homework. But yeah. with my boys, they were pretty difficult to do that with. Yeah. So my husband was like, oh, just get it done. <laughs> yeah. And that's where some of the, like the trade-offs, I guess, come into not necessarily bad trade-offs, but we all have to make some kind of trade-off. Sure. And like with we were just talking about being detail-oriented right before we started this up and like, I can already tell that with my kid. I'm like, I can't. You got to give up control. You can't. Something. You can't manage every little bit, and that's that's normal. And that's actually the healthier choice, even yeah. though it seems like you're taking second best, right? But yeah, like I would have liked, you know, my kids to learn a foreign language when they were young. You know, like yeah. take them and do that. And you know what? My husband's priority was hockey, so they all play hockey. I don't know another foreign language, but it's like you got to find the compromise, and everybody has yeah. different priorities. Yeah. Hmm. Well, and it's uh, it seems like you've do you have you found other people like in your group or in the nation that or somewhere that have where you've been able to see similar versions of yourself or reflect or talk about or have, did you feel pretty isolated in that kind you of know, a role? I felt really isolated when the kids were young, um, just because you know there weren't many women that were just like me. But now with social media and different Facebook groups and different women's yeah. groups. I mean, I think there's a lot more support out there and people are so willing to say, hey, this is what's worked for me. This was what we found to be a challenge. You know, yeah. I know a lot of women who are choosing just to work overnights because it gives them that flexibility to be home with their kids every evening. Yeah. And they just, you know, schedule their sleep around that, but they can do the morning routine. They can be there in the evenings. And so for them, that's that's what they choose. Yeah. And so I... There is no one size fits all. Yeah. And um, do you think, because I think sometimes we've tried to, in just a society like social groups, social media, I should say, and social connection through the internet versus a neighborhood or a family. I'm like, I'm trying to figure out how much do you encourage like, yeah, get involved in social media versus do something local or get something. Yeah. And I mean, now, now that our group is so big, we do have a women's group and we do oh. have a lot more of that kind of in-person support yeah. and, and mentoring, but I mean, that wasn't necessarily available. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, and a lot of it is just most for, 
most working mothers that I know, it's just getting rid of the guilt. I mean, we have so much guilt. It's crazy. And other women going, let it go. Like, just let it go. That's a little bit why I, I try I try not to ask that directly or use the terms work-life balance. But in my conversations with other women, I've tried to figure out, like when I ask about how your kids perceive your career, a little bit of like, I think some of that gets it to like how much guilt you feel about some of those things. Yeah. Because I think it's your perception of their perception is a little bit of that. Totally. And when they were little and they're like, mom, don't go to work. And they're crying and you're like, I got to get out of here, you know? And so yeah. I think you, I felt a lot more guilt when they were young and didn't understand. And now, now when they complain that I got to go to work, I'm like, mm, do you like the food on your table? Do you like, yeah. you know, your iPhones, your, the roof over well, your head? I'm like, and I, gotta work. I frankly think that's where women really like, there's just society is just that, oh, in that, if that same scenario, I'm crying, you're going to work was a guy. Right. Nobody would be placing any guilt like that's no, just the way. It no, society puts a lot of guilt on us. But to be honest, every working mom I know, we put way more guilt on ourselves than yeah. any external would. But that's just something you have to let go. I mean, you have to let yeah. go. Like, I mean, I, I have house cleaners come in every two weeks. I, I just like, that is something I don't have the bandwidth to do. And so hiring stuff out yeah. is is awesome. Like it's hard so to make the step. When but once did you, you make that it, choice? Um I think when the kids were God young, like they were probably five, six in my so, list. Let me ask you this. So you my say, husband doesn't work. Let's just put that out there. And right. but I still hire. But cleaners. let's just say that he also may not have the skill set for our focus too. Right. Just um, that every two not to weeks put him in coming. a gender category because right. there are plenty of men who can clean a house. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. But let's just say that not everybody's in their wheelhouse to like have the focus. Right. And there's something about like just walking in and your entire house oh. being cleaned at once. Like, oh, uh, it's that. just. Oh yeah. It's lovely. So let me. Some it's funny because I talk with, like, let's look at a new grad and we like. <laughs> And I say, like, okay, sometimes, you know, our third year is approaching graduation. Somebody starts bringing up financial. We just had alum day. Like, don't buy the big Tesla. Don't, like, because you might not know if that group's the one you want. You don't, don't yeah. buy, like, consider the house. You're like, don't overbuy. This is an area where I might, would you suggest to, like, a new grad, like, feel free to get the housekeeping as early as possible? Yes. That's worth it. Every penny. <laughs> Like skimp other skimp other because places. I bet that the, like the <laughs> like the yearly cost of that compared to like another room on the house or something is so different. But it oh, I think yeah. it transforms people's it does guilt and mindset around it does. And food is one of those other areas. Like don't skimp on food. Buy good quality, yeah. nutritious, healthy food. It's worth every penny. I think that's an. I appreciate you bringing that up because I think when I talk about. The like the simple luxuries of life, yeah. As compared to like buying for me, sometimes technology or something, it's just like feeling no guilt to go to like a high end grocery store and buy like crafted food. You're just caring for yourself. Yes, it's good. And and unfortunately, not everybody in life has access to that. But I also know that you've worked very hard to get to where you are. Well, and, and that's, I mean, don't forget, our uh, the rest of our lifestyle is not so healthy. Yeah. So you kind of have to counterbalance it a little bit. I think you're right. So if you, if you live our lifestyle and then you eat that's, crappy food... I, I like that the your, too. Your life expectancy is not very long. Yeah, I think you're... And career even. Not yeah, even counting your life, your career and family expectancy, I think. Yeah. Yeah, any other things you can think of like buy that early or do that early? Um, I mean, that's hard. You know, I, 
looking back, I'm like, oh, you know, I t- should have gotten in the market right away and gotten like a really nice house in a great location and then kind of fixed it up. You know, the retrospectoscope is always great. But if I didn't stay in the area, then I got to look at downsizing. I mean, I bought a smaller house in Minneapolis. We outgrew it. And then we looked in the suburbs and, you know, I th- thought we'd move again because I really wanted to live on water. Uh, um, and then we just ended up in a really great neighborhood where my kids had tons of friends. It was one of those old fashioned neighborhoods where your kids out the door in the morning and yeah. you don't even see them until evening hours because my neighbor fed them dinner or something. And, and you don't have to worry about it. Yeah. So, I mean, neighborhood, especially in raising a family, is probably more important than the house or, you know, like the actual physical structure. Yeah. yeah. A lot goes into raising kids. And when you have like neighborhood support and it gets a little back to the family support, like yeah. the location and the environment. Yeah. Yeah. The fancy car and the really nice house is not going to help you out of a bind when you can't like find a ride to hockey practice. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. And well, not yet. At least that fancy car might in the future. Yeah. You know, you like, when just I'm get in the Tesla. It's my Tesla husband and, trying to get three kids. And you kids can just like drive this person here. Oh, well, yeah, that's probably coming too, isn't it? That is. Yeah. That's where I was going with that. Um, yeah. I think that's where I like, I, I appreciate you bringing up the food. And I'm trying, that's kind of why I was like, oh, is there anything else like that? Because I haven't had that conversation. Yeah. That was with a lesson I didn't learn until fairly recently. Um, probably For us, about- it's turned into like, it's not just like the quality of the food. It's like the prepped food. So like you yeah. can buy cleaned and chopped stuff to make your soup with and save, even though yeah, like we can still cook at home a little bit more often, um, home cooked meals that were prepped yes. ahead of yeah. time. Not like the level of like some male food service, not to downsize yeah. those. It's just not even in that hype. Just buying pre-chopped fruit for my kid is a lot easier than... Yeah, and when my life was super busy, I did a like a meal delivery service of like uh-huh. origin paleo meals yeah, that yeah, were yeah. really healthy and lots of veggies and yeah. and just to grab that and take it to work, it was great because yeah. I mean the hospital cafeteria. Let's be honest, not yeah. many healthy good options there. Yeah, and the and cost really to do your own prep. The and cost wasn't all that much different. Yeah. For me, it's a lot of like, the, I have to be thinking and planning when am I going to prep the meal and yeah. am I going to remember to put it in my bag and then I'm going to, and and then if you don't, you end up just putting yourself in the position to make some really bad choices around what you find and grab. For sure. Oh, that, so, that burger and fries looks so yeah, good right now. I'm tired. I, I deserve it. I still try to work on that. Um, are there any other, um, as you kind of look at your trajectory, I kind of like to talk more about your your balance of clinical work and non-clinical work within your group or in other... That ebbs and flows. Like that, I did a lot of clinical work, obviously, when I started, but then I got into administration and leadership pretty early. Um, I was an assistant medical director and then I was kind of grooming for medical director and then I just realized that the work-life balance of that really gets pretty skewed. Um, and so a ton of my work just overflowed into home life. Yeah. And so I just got to a kind of a breaking point where I just had to make some hard decisions and I decided to leave leadership. Um, I left it and then I realized, I'm, you know, I'm not a worker bee type. I, I do need some control and some say in things. And so I've added some back, but very selectively. Yeah. 
boundaries. <laughs> boundaries. It's really hard because <laughs> I mean, when, when you get mind. started, like you're so enthusiastic and you want to try all these different areas of medicine and you want to like learn what you like and what you don't like. So you're afraid to say no to any opportunity, yeah. but then you end up saying yes to too many. And then it's much harder to back out. And I think early in life, it, there's probably, st- if you're, there's a lot of encouragement early in life to say yes to lots of things yeah. because you're you don't know which opportunity actually turns into the jackpot, which is sort of a fear of missing out type of thing, a career development. But it's trickier, I think, once you're already like a practicing physician, you're already successful yeah. right there. And so then it but I think people for whatever reason, I mean, I'm right there with it. Like somehow that's not enough. And then it becomes like, maybe I need to fix some things or I need to publish some research for prestige or fix something about the country and how they're treating a problem or fix other people around me by educating them and taking on educational roles or, and that's where I think, and, and the, the perception that you can do it all is probably pretty prevalent that you can, raise yeah. all of these things, be an educator and you're supposed to publish or you're not, or you're supposed to within your group lead a discussion or do the schedule or do the, yeah, do the um, policy management or make sure that you and this other part of the hospital don't get in a fight every week. And yeah, I think you do need to find that balance of, you know, what you need to do versus what you want to do. Yeah. And it has to be pretty heavily weighed to the things that you want to do. Yeah. Because if it if it starts getting kind of equal, that's when you start reaching just a tipping point where you're like, this is not what I want to do with my life. Yeah. And so you have to make sure to to really evaluate new opportunities and say, does this excite me? Is this something I'm interested in? Is this something I actu- would actually be good at? Because there's some things that I really was excited about and I'm just not that good at it. You know, and, and realizing that, yeah, it's not going to make me happy in the long run if I'm trying to do something that I'm not that good at. And I'm just, yeah, I, that doesn't make you feel very good about yourself. Like I'm not, I'm not a natural born teacher, you know, and I realize that although I like to teach, I'm not, I'm not one of those great inspired teachers. So it frustrates me that I'm not better. Yeah. yeah. And then, and so do you think you have sort of that wisdom now to look at opportunities or people asking you to do things and kind of go like, that's not a match for me. Yes. I kind of want it to be a match, but I know it's not a match. Yeah. And like, I think think that's the wisdom. I mean, nowadays you can, you can get these books and tests about like what your strengths are and you can evaluate what your strengths are and then gearing, you know, your opportunities towards that. It's a, it's just a good fit because then you learn and grow and you're, you feel good about, you know, what you're contributing. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, oh man, I think what I learned, it's that balance of like knowing what, knowing the difference between I want to be good at that and I am good at that or I, I, and there's a little bit of a middle ground because sometimes there are things you want to be good at and you want to put the time in to figure out how to be good at it. Yes, Maybe no matter what it takes Mm -hmm. or to a point but there's often these dreams that we hold that I can just somehow magically do that. And it's not really a plan. Yeah, I really want to be good at remembering people's names and it doesn't matter how hard I try. <laughs> it really doesn't. I will never be good at it. Yeah. You know, and you're probably not going to be building a system of like name, you know, <laughs> like you're not going to go to school. on like, Oh, I, I went and trained myself on face to yeah. name memory yeah. aids. And, and I, you like know, that. I'm not really good at computers. I'm not, but 
I I love to problem solve and I like to make things better. And so yeah. like I've naturally fallen into Epic, you know, yeah. working with you and just like this is so important to our, you know, minute by minute work in the ER. And yeah. when it doesn't work right, how frustrating it is for everybody. So yeah. like, that's a meaningful contribution. So I've worked on getting better at computers. And now now being the go-to person in the ER, right. like, hey, can you figure me out how to do this? Can you, I can't get this to work. Like, I get a lot of satisfaction out of going, yeah, here, here you go. I just yeah. fixed it for you. Uh, ding. ding. Like that little <laughs> sparkle off your teeth is totally. like with a bell in the back. But then you feel like you contribute. And, you know, that's kind of what happiness is, right? Yeah. Like, you just feel like you have a purpose. Yeah, I think that's a lot of it is if you get that feed, like some people view those questions as just very, like when people ask them that, oh, what am I, where am I going? Like, oh, I don't want to be the guy they ask on that. Like, or, you know, you start to figure out that, oh, no, I like, I get feedback and I get personal satisfaction out of like fixing those problems. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of those, the hard part is sometimes you're like, there's a lot of problems you can't fix you can't do it yourself or they are really tricky long-term problems or you fixed them for yourself and you can't get other people to see your, <laughs> see slowly, your point of view. Slowly, they convince them. <laughs> like yeah. split board track, you, you're really going to like it, I promise. Just keep trying. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I went to, there was an epic meeting this morning I learned about. Yeah, that was, been, that's exactly what I said. I'm like, you're either using it or you're going to be using it. Yeah. Like, I know, and that's you, what I. It's that's basically what I two tell groups people. of the world. Yeah, that's what I tell you've people. You've either figured it out, or you you will have figured it out once you figure it out. And as each upgrade comes along, you're going to be forced <laughs> that much more to go that way. And then you'll wonder, oh, it actually there is like, yeah, good things there. Yep. So, all right. Well, that was a little dive into the epic <laughs> world, but um, yeah. So for people listening, Marnie and I work together because you've been in one of these limited recent, more recent, I guess I would say recent, you've been doing it a long time, but when you reopen the door a little bit to some administration, part of that's been uh, informatics or Epic management. Yeah, or just that was like actually one of the things that I just never totally in. gave up. I was like, okay, I'm going to keep that little part. Yeah. Get rid of scheduling. I'm going to get rid of, you know, assistant medical director. Yeah. And then, like I said, I've added a few things back, yeah. but, but selectively. And um, as you've done that, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, your own like shift workflow and documentation a bit because in part like like you just said it's kind of minute to minute and they're kind of related how you use these tools and how you get home on time have you found anything where you're like like the side by side or other things that have made you go like oh that's a big difference and and I want to include not just epic but I'll put scribes in as the tool like ways to work with scribes or methods to help them even make you more efficient are there any parts of that that you feel like oh I'm trying to get other people to believe yeah you know I you know so I work at Hutchinson where I do all my do own documentation yeah. and then I I work at Methodist where you know 99% of the time I have a scribe and yeah. so the workflow is very different um you know I try like I change things, but now I'd like to proof the HPI pretty early in the ED course. So as soon as I go, we see a patient, sometimes I'll walk out of the room like this was important, this was important. Then they write their HPI and then, you know, I'll go see a few other patients. But then when I sit down at my desk again, I'll look through the HPIs and yeah. just say, okay, is that all of the important stuff? And then if they left some stuff out, I'll make sure that that's added. But doing it while it's still fresh in your mind and you yeah. haven't seen five more patients since, I think is is really important. People think like, oh, I'll just put it off till later. I'll just put it off till later. But 
those things you put off to later take more time then. I think um, with our recent changes, that's exactly, I'm starting, and I don't think I, I know I didn't have any quite a sense of it and I never promoted that, but now it's, it's, it's self-evident when you watch people and you lived in both worlds, I, I don't have any way of putting data behind it. Like specifically what I'm trying to say is the dumping your brain of this, these details into the chart and not having to worry about them later mm-hmm. as compared to probably you don't feel like you're carrying this burden for five more patients while you still remember. But when you go later to document I think we all can remember times when you're like, wait, was that this guy or that guy? Like just that kind of- You've seen four chest pains. Even though you still might get it right in the end. Like if I were to ask ED docs, like if you delayed your note to the end of your shift, is it still accurate? They're they're all going to tell me, yeah, it's accurate. But I think- I think that's I want it to be accurate. And now I think I can say pretty clearly from just, again, like- the sooner you dump it out of your brain, kind of like people talk about get things done and to-do lists, the sooner you're not trying to track yeah. what you need to do tonight and you just have a way of coming back to it, the less work your brain's it's doing so and I mean, so like, much more faster. All the productivity research, everything shows that. And you know, our, our fastest docs in EPA actually um, contributed this document of like what makes you fast. Oh. And so that, yeah, and almost all of them was like, real-time documentation like that patient doesn't leave the department until you've dictated their mdm and so before they even go through the discharge process to get them out of the department or to get them admitted they will do their medical decision making yeah and you know it's also you're not going oh crap i just noticed that you know like dictating it later after they've left which i mean we've all kind of done it we're like how did i miss that you know or i didn't think about this until i started talking about it that's his heart rate or, I, I yeah. know, and or you're just like, as you're talking about the patient, you're like, oh, it comes oh, and yeah. then all of a sudden you might have something else on your differential, and once the patient's gone, you can't really go back to that. So I right. think it makes you a better doc to do it yeah. real time too. Um, but yeah, it, you know, and I don't utilize the scribes as well as some other people do. I mean, my exam, I have a lot of exam templates. Yeah, and sometimes if I tell the scribes, like, you know this you know they have two plus pitting edema i'll go back and look later and you know it'll be under musculoskeletal and then under lymphatic it'll say no edema and so the contradictions in the chart so a lot of times i'll just do my own physical exam unless it's somebody that's got so many findings and then i'll just call them out during the exam yeah it's probably more productive yeah but hey yeah it It'd be nice if you worked with one, a few particular scribes, but when you work with a large group of scribes, sometimes it, it is yeah, difficult. Yeah, your group isn't able to like put you on the same scribe. No, no. Right? So there'll be a scribe you work with and they, you know, by the end of your shift, they've got you down and then three months later you work with them again and you kind of have to start all over again. Yeah. But I think setting those expectations in right from the get-go, which on a busy shift when there's, you know, a ton of patients to be seen, sometimes I don't do that, but... Really, the best thing to do is talk to your scribe. This is how I like this done. This is how I like this done. For my exams, you know, just ask me what template to use and at least put the template in. And so, yeah. and I think less is more when it comes to the charts. I think yeah. the more stuff you put in there, the more opportunity for errors there are. Yeah. So. Yeah, and helping them get your understanding of that. Yeah. Even at a, just a concept. Like, I'd rather you delete something rather than add it. Like, for any... <laughs> 
Like yeah, that. like they came in with their wife. I'm like, that wasn't their wife. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> don't even put who they came in yeah, with. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Huh. Yeah. And and so, the I mean, summarizing, you're kind of like, you know, keeping up real time, both with the scribe, so proofing their documentation, or if you're alone, just trying to do that between patients. And if uh, you can sign charts and like be done with them, yeah, then like towards the end of your shift... You're like, okay, I can actually pick up one more quick patient. Because there's times when you're like, oh, you know, I can, it's not that late. I might be able to pick them up. And then you realize you're there to an hour and a half later finishing up your documentation. Yeah. And that, that just, it gets hard shift after shift to keep doing that. And I finally, I used to stay late more often. And now I, I realize keeping up real time is the only way you're going to get out even close to on time. And I think I, I've been talking about, like, um, in one of the previous podcasts uh, with Laura Schrag and talked a bit about this sort of two hours before the end milestone. Yeah. And that's sort of this, if you can land on that mark with some energy and not being real backlogged, like you can probably see one or two more people and, and get their work up sufficiently done so yeah. that you can make a disposition decision before you're actually done. And that's where I've started. Like the narrative I would have like a third year, I'm like, you know, I think that if I'm practicing, I want to be able to like get in if they loaded the rooms, depending on where I'm working and how I'm working. Often you might show up and there's a bunch of new people to see. That might be the time to go from room to room and get things started. Yeah. But ideally some point pretty soon, even if there are more patients to see your back getting caught up so that then you can say like, Hey, I can maybe do one or two more patients when yeah. you thought you wouldn't have been able to do before. Yeah. Cause I think if people have this unknown documentation burden that they're carrying, they're just much less likely to want to take on anything if there's any. Yeah. And it always takes it. longer than you think it will. It does. All those charts at the yeah. end. Yeah. Yeah. Are there any, um, I guess I think I've probably mined that one enough. I think it's it's a lot of it. There's like you can use any tool you want on some level, but it's a matter of I think the mindset of keeping up that I'm trying to figure out if that resonates with other people. And um, and there's some people who use dot phrases for their medical decision making. And yeah, where do you know, land I, on that? I don't like that. Uh, you know, what I mean, <laughs> tell for, me more. For a really simple patient, I mean, a really simple patient, I suppose it's fine. Um, like a lack MDM, usually those are. You know, I have no problem putting in a dot price for that. Yeah. But for most, I think, like, that's the most important part of your chart Yeah, is your medical decision-making. That's the one that's going to, like, if anything ever happens bad, that's where they're going to look. Yeah. Um, so I think an individualized one, I use a combination of um, voice recognition and scribe overread. So I double dictate. Um, I have got my little, you know, dictaphone in one hand and the voice recognition microphone next oh, to each other. Nice. So... That frees up my scribe that they don't have to type everything, but then they can listen to it and then they can edit the voice recognition. I see. So you don't have to look at the screen. Right. You're kind of getting an editor, which right. is how ra all of radiology works now. Oh. Is that, I mean, it's not the same way. Their voice recognition system is built in such a way that they dictate yeah. and then it's recorded as well. And somebody somewhere well, and that's what, gets to be that's an the editor. way transcription has actually worked for the last decade. So medical transcriptionists yeah. had voice recognition software right. and they do the editing. And they edit. And I've 
what's never been the case is that you can have that transcriptionist like editing the real-time node. And the other option the radiologists have are to say like, this was simple enough that it can go straight to final and skip the editor. Yeah. So that you can do like, this was a negative chest X-ray or this was the simple lack. I put in one sentence. I read it myself. Just right. file it. Right. And I've done, I do that for my simple ones that I have dot yeah. raises for the MDMs. But for It'd be the nice most part, it's important. I mean, that. like I, the MDM for my charts is the ED course. Like it's kind of a, this is how they presented. This is what happened during the ED course. This is what I was thinking about. This is what I've ruled out. This is what, you know, I think they're stable for discharge. This is the follow-up plan. This is what I recommended. So, I mean, it, it really is just one big summary. And, you know, for follow-up, honestly, that's what the specialists want. That's what the primary care doc want. They're like, these dot phrases that people use are worthless. They want to know what you were thinking. They want to know what happened during their ED course. And so, if that's the reason that we're documenting, it's hard to use a dot phrase. Yeah, I think I'm trying to nav. I mean, in our discussions at our group, we're trying to kind of navigate that. Like, how do you use? Because some people would say that prompted list, if you interact with it cognitively, could help. That's, I think, the argument some would say, like, oh, I'm actually, it's helping you remember what my differential for belly pain is. The flip side is there's many people who put the whole thing in and never look at it. Or they say, I considered this. I'm like, how did you, how did you consider it, and what did you do to rule it in yeah. or out? So, yeah. yes, so that's exactly where I'm trying to figure yeah. out: is it always just a microphone, or is there some type of middle ground with prompting? It's hard to say because some of it also gets into like prompting for quality. Like, where's the prompting? That's the, I think the main thing is like: is there any room for prompting well, of anything? And I don't document? think it would be a bad idea to have like a prompt that you just have like, you know your dot phrase be, you know, MDM abdominal pain, and it just pulls up a list. And you, like, scan down that list, and you're like, yep, I've thought about all that. Yeah. Delete it, and then dictate it. You know, I mean, oh, if, you, yeah. if you want those prompts, that's great. I mean, yeah. I think that does make you a better doctor, um, because maybe you'll see something you didn't consider, and you're like, oh. Yeah, I think that's where I think people advocate for them. Yeah. But it's it's the nuance of how you actually interact with them and use them, use them not just dump them. Oh my God. I've seen one for abdominal pain um, that I think had the entire differential diagnosis of abdominal pain on it. They were probably like Harrison's. It was like 40 (laughs) different diagnoses that were considered. And I'm like, Oh my God. So what did you think the patient actually had? Cause that's not even clear from this. Yeah. There's some abominations out there. There are, but it, and so what are you, what are you documenting for? For me, I'm, I I think of two things when I'm documenting. I'm thinking of okay downstream, like somebody else is going to see this patient. Yeah. They're going to f- like see what I was thinking, kind of follow up with them. Yeah. And then you know what? I've also done some reviews, um, uh, not for malpractice, but for you know like medical, medical necessity. Cases. Well, yeah. I mean, they were lawsuits against police officers and so i had to go over all the injuries and all of that and some of the documentation you're like this is atrocious (laughs) you're just like it doesn't say anything and so other people will read that like and you don't know who those other people are going to be they might be lawyers they might be other doctors they might be the patient now especially with these you know my chart and online access to your chart so there's lots of people reading your chart and you i think you always have to remember that yeah yeah, I think that's it's, it's um it is an art form by 
all in my mind of learning and trying to figure out how to land it so that it serves all these different people like you're kind of describing the yeah and you go home on time yeah <laughs> that's why i'm asking you and lots is, of people about it is it just is to try a challenge to discover those um are there any other parts of your shift like maybe not documentation related that you uh that that you think are is kind of key or you've found helpful either whether that's tools in the emr or we've talked about some side or just like like i mentioned setting an alarm two hours before the end or, or yeah, I mean, I like, taking a break i like putting pictures in the chart whenever possible okay. I mean, it, it certainly cuts down on your description time yeah of you know whatever finding they had sometimes that's easier than others because yeah. you know haiku works about 20 percent of the time at my shop um, we need to talk about the microphone <laughs> setting. So, you know, there are things, reassessing the patient um, is pretty huge. Like, try to do that. I mean, it's hard yeah. to get back in there because you're like, oh, they're going to start talking and then they're going to bring up new complaints. But sometimes those new complaints really actually help you. Yeah. Um, because there's nothing worse than getting ready to discharge them. You're talking about them. They're like, what about my chest pain? Yeah. <laughs> you're like, this is the first time you're bringing this up. So, yeah, what about that? Well, let's find you an appointment. To- yeah, yeah. So, you know, reassessing and, you know, for patient satisfaction, that goes a long, long yeah. way. I mean, sitting there in that room when no one's checking on them for hours and yeah. and sometimes, and now, you know, again, with the whole MyChart, which is, you know, their online charting platform, they know their results before you get back in there to tell them their results. So you've been having that too. That wasn't intended. Yeah, that's that's fun stuff. So, you know, trying trying to get in there in a reasonable time frame cuz otherwise they're like my results have been back for an hour. Yeah. Where have you been? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've been taking care of some really really yeah. important other people. <laughs> You're just not important and not sick. <laughs> that goes along. Is that how you put it? Yes. Yes. That's, that's why, what I've learned. That's why my patient satisfaction. Well, actually, you're not all that important and you're not that sick. <laughs> that's why you're sad. Patient satisfaction scores are like a two out of ten. Yeah. <laughs> Mine are probably right there with you. Told me I wasn't important. We don't treat everything as critical. Um, Honey, you're not dying. The person uh-huh. in the other room is. <laughs> exactly. You probably heard him. <laughs> Uh, you know, a, a good screaming psychotic patient goes a long way, though. You like, walk in the room. And that is that's the most effective. Like everyone's like, no, nope, I understand. I it's fine. I'll wait. <laughs> yeah, the worry is that that they say, and then we'll go to another hospital next time. But at least if it's a screaming drunk patient, that sometimes is more the yeah. uh, thing. I think. Um, and do you see? Like you probably get to see other people's practice in some ways, either through some of your leadership role, but also just observing it. Do you see pitfalls that you frustrate you that other providers do other than like the dot phrase or something like that? Um, this has not been a great question, but I continue to ask it for reasons I am not clear. You know, I, probably not communicating with the nurses enough. Okay. Um, I think they can really help you again, reassessing the patient, but sometimes yeah. the nurses have a lot of really important information. Um, Really reading the triage note because uh, there's yeah. a lot of times there's a lot of useful information in there. Yeah. Um, using the computers in the room to actually get the orders in while you're there yeah. um, rather than waiting to go back to your desk. And then sometimes you'll forget to put an order in. Um, and then reviewing what was done maybe that morning at urgent care. You know, cause oh, sometimes yeah. you're repeating unnecessary yeah. work. So really looking through the chart, like when you pick up a new patient. 
kind of get up to speed. Get up to speed. Very like, purposely. Look, have they recently been admitted? Have they recently been seen elsewhere? Have yeah. they had recent labs? Like really getting that. The patients really appreciate it because they certainly don't want to tell you the story. Do you scri- like somehow script that as you come in and let them know? What do you do? I do. So I sit down. I'm like, so I've been doing a lot of reading on you. Okay. <laughs> so I yeah. think I'm pretty. I'm just going to give you the picture. I think Marty's I'm, turning her head. I think She's I'm looking out of the side up. of her eyes. I think She's I'm got pretty caught up. glint in her eye. <laughs> so She's what's like, happened since now? <laughs> let me summarize what I think has happened. How are you feeling this yeah. minute? Or I'll walk in. I'm like, back so soon? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I I think patients appreciate that. They're like, wow, you actually took the time to read about me and get caught up. And it saves so much time because the history they give about what just happened during their recent hospitalization is really not what just happened. So getting that gist of it and then getting, okay, so here's how you were feeling and what was happening when you were discharged. What's happened since then? Yeah. And that, you know, it just saves a ton of time. Otherwise, they'll they'll start at like two years ago. Right. Telling you about like, well, then this happened and then this happened. So both is like a satisfaction as well as an efficiency tip to keep them on the sort of set the agenda right. Yeah, I think that's an area. I feel like a lot of people figure that out fairly early, but I I don't know. I think it seems like, especially when there's like four or five new patients to see, you kind of just want to get things going and you see chest pain and I'm just going to go in there and it turns out. Oh, yeah, they just had their cab three days ago. They're just discharged, and nobody told you that they yeah. came in with chest pain. And Yeah, and those lady. simple complaints that seem simple, uh, and then you don't read up on them beforehand, and then you walk in there, and you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when it becomes yeah. quite apparent that you didn't read now up, I and have you're like, listen to the patient tell me the I'm going to just log in over here and try to figure <laughs> out, oh, <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I do see that yeah. oncology visit you had three days ago. Where you, oh, that's yeah, right. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, that still happens occasionally to me. But I think that's like this balance of trying not to cut too many corners and to figure out how to just do the same thing every time, even though it feels slow. I think it's that you, you, you don't perceive when it goes fine most of the time, you don't perceive the time it saved you and not working people up or yeah. doing the right work up as compared to like... Because it's super painful when you get to near the end, like you said, and then you're like, oh, that wasn't the real issue. <laughs> yeah. And or figuring out who's driving. Like, wh- who brought you? Like, yeah. is it, did you want to come in or did you want him to come in? Oh, God. Oh, engaging family. Yeah. That's huge. Like, I can't tell you how many times at Methodist I'll be talking to the patient and I'm always like glancing at whoever came with them. Yeah. Because like they'll be giving me like evil eye, like that's not true. That's not true. Like when the patient's giving the history and they're itching to talk. And and you're like, do you have anything you want to add? Do you mind if she talks? Oh, (laughs) yeah. Oh, yeah. That's it's amazing how much additional information they'll give you. And sometimes they'll give it right in front of the patient and other times like they'll grab you in the hallway. But usually that information is invaluable. Yeah. And they're going to be the ones taking that patient home. So you got to make sure that no matter what you do, they're on board with taking that patient home. Because you can do this long workup thinking they're going home. And then at the very end of it, that significant other is like, I'm not taking him home like this. Yeah. <laughs> You're just like, oh, I wish I had known that two hours ago. Yeah. So yeah. learning those things early yeah. in your career is really helpful. Yeah, that's... I continue to try to figure out how to teach that other than to just recognize it. Cause you know, as you're learning as a resident, you're not often having somebody in the room micromanaging the questions you ask. And so you kind of are left, 
but but I think people get there, but I just think some people get there later than others. Yeah, they don't, I, they're not as direct. And as, your training doesn't necessarily prep you for the patient population you'll be seeing later. Right. You know, I mean, like if you see a large pediatric population or you see a large elderly population, it's not going to be the patients that you're seeing at the level one trauma center, you know? So like really the nuances of treating the very young and the very old are a little bit different. Well, and I think where... Like you kind of brought the humor into like that introduction piece, right? Where you're kind of like, oh, "Oh, so you're back so early. I think sometimes like recognizing the tension between the person who was made to be brought in and the person who brought them in in a sort of like a diffusing way can sometimes go like, well, oh, did you want to come in? Or was she really like hoping you'd come in today? Like, and kind of smile at with like, a, yeah, she's probably doing it. And like, yeah, oh, yeah, she just wanted me to come in. I don't know. Oh, would you come in if she didn't want you to? Yeah. Oh, I'd never come in. Oh, okay. Well, let me talk with her about what she's concerned about. Like, okay, you're getting your, I'm getting the HPI from you now. Yeah. And <laughs> being like, respectful of both is like, is it right. okay if she fills me in a little bit? Cause yeah. it looks like she's got a lot to say. But I, yeah. you know, and, I'm, you know, a five foot one. Female. I keep doing she, so I feel like I'm biasing our the archetype to the woman who's <laughs> they're concerned about her husband or they're whatever. Usually, but. Yeah, well, they are usually ones giving you the eye, like I've got more to say. Um, but I think, you know, I'm I'm a small female and I go into a room with a lot of confidence, you know, and to like walking in there like, you're back already, you know? Yeah. And, and I think patients like are put at ease by that. They want a doctor who's confident. And so, you know, me going in and I know all this information about you and I feel comfortable from the get-go coming in here and talking with you. I I, I think patients like that. Yeah, yeah. Let me ask you this because I've asked a lot of women, white coat, no white coat, make a difference, make a non-difference. I hate my white coat. Um, you hate it I hate and it. you wear it. I don't. That's what I read. You don't, okay. I do not That's wear fine, it. I just wanted to. I do not wear it. I mean, I think if it, if it, it fit me, and it was actually like a There's softer. There's a place upstairs here. It's... Oh my god! Okay, my alterations. Oh, I swear to God, you can go upstairs right now. I know. And they will fit you. All of a... my alterations, the total came to one fifty. Oh, you already had this for a one for one white for coat. One coat. Oh. I know, and I'm like, wow. I think I'll just continue wearing my a fleece. Like, well, no, I mean it has to be shortened in the sleeves. It has to be shortened. Got it. You know, because it's to my ankles yeah, practically. One it has coat. Yeah. Fifty. Huh? I know. So that's. I mean, I just can't find one that fits me well. Yeah. But I, I mean, they catch on things. They're dirty. I just. Yeah. Those are the reasons besides the fit. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think. It's not worth it. It probably helps a little bit with some patients, but I, I don't think it. it, It, It's not a game changer. No. Yeah. No. That's kind of the sense I'm getting. Cause I think I've talked to a few people that. There are some people though, who they very much believe it makes a difference. Yes. There are some people who believe that. So I think you make your own decision on that. Yeah. And I think, but I think it's also kind of like, there's a lot of people that have tried it for years and have figured out it probably didn't make a difference. Yeah. And honestly, the value of the white white coat also. Changing. Yeah. I mean, everybody's wearing a white coat. So who really cares? Yes. Is my opinion. (laughs) Everybody but the doctors. Everybody but the doctors. Exactly. They're all wearing scrubs and Patagonia fleeces that are embroidered with some. Exactly. Yeah, that's how you identify that doctrine. Pretty much. Yeah. Oh, do you know how long we've been talking? No. Um, you want to guess? Just sixty-five minutes. Not that long. Oh. It, yes, it's <laughs> almost that. It's getting close. It's about sixty minutes or oh. a little under that. So this has been good. Oh, I'm we have one little... other thing. Like seriously, any yeah. woman with long hair. 
your stethoscope, they have a clip that you could put on your weight. Oh, yeah. That's the only way to go. And there's only one kind of clip I've ever seen. No, I tried it. There's and a couple like, different Is there a couple? Because I've you seen know, like the belt strap one. Yeah, that one sucks. The Velcro one sucks. Yeah, the okay. one that just like It's like a molded plastic thing. But you, you do it so many times, like you don't even think about it. And it's yeah. just like, and then it doesn't get tangled in your hair. And then it doesn't like hang on your neck. And Have you yeah. ever tried the Bluetooth ones? I have not. Really? Yeah, a few people in our group. It's like a little puck and you carry the puck and then you either don't use Bluetooth and you just use an earpiece, but it's like an amplified. I haven't either, but there's some that swear by it. And part of me is like, oh, I just, I don't like having a stethoscope on my neck. Like yeah, it's it's kind of just, I don't like the like feeling. the belt one, but it's part of the show. I mean, oh, to be honest, the, true the stethoscope is part of the show. Yeah, that's part of the. Yeah, and patients really like the show. I had a med student who was wearing like, Beats headphones ostensibly because that was his stethoscope with the Bluetooth. And I'm like, Mm-mm. I'm pretty open to appearances or I've become more. I have really hard time walking around with head, big old designer headphones around my neck. Well, and, and patients, going into are, patients are going to be like, what do you just, you know, listen to your tunes while you talk to me? How are you going to hear me with those headphones in your Yeah. 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 And I think like, as I've looked at, patient like pre, like let, let me just mention like we've talked about appearance right like the impression you make the moment you walk in the room particularly as a woman as differentiated from a nurse is one thing and that's where this whole white coat thing comes into because yeah. i think with men like whether you shave or you have like the hockey beard or you have the hair that's pretty unkempt or what i'm getting at is like i think the not inappropriately so you don't have to look like a old white guy stock photo anymore. Correct. Which is great. And there's a lot of definitions with that. And I think it's more dependent on how you use words and eye contact these days, which is part of where I get into like the script of how people talk. When I talk on these podcasts, I've tried to kind of uncover like, what do you actually say when you go in the room? Because I think those first few words are actually what defines you as the doctor as compared to how much you like as compared to how you look. Yeah. I mean, it's always introductions, you know, like I introduce myself, yeah. I introduce my scribe. I find out who else is in the room and how they're related. Yeah. Cause that's just, that's important to know yeah. right off the get go. And it's respectful. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, it's ask, so much hard to do later too. Yeah. Oh, and who are you? Oh yeah. That's the worst. Or question. assuming it's because they like start talking. Son, like, and it's, well, by the way, how are you related? Oh, I hate it when I get in that position. I do it occasionally. Yeah, I forget. Yeah. And I'm like, oh. Oh, you bring your son in? Oh, yeah, you oh no, that's sp- my husband. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it happens and you're like, oh, yeah. Um, and then just like, you know, what brought you to the emergency department today? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's pretty straightforward or like, I don't know about like how I can help you. I feel like that sounds like a waitress. Um, yeah. But I think no matter what scripting you choose to use, it has to be one that's comfortable to you. So you may hear some really great sounding scripting, but when you say it, it just sounds awkward. Like that's not the scripting for you then. It has to be natural for you. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's a lot of it. Like, and you, I think I'm trying to get it. You have to try a few on for size because you can't just like yeah. listen to one and do it. And I kind of like, again, part of the podcast method is compared to reading it, I find that most people do have a script for that. They use the word script for it. Yeah. But they almost, you almost just have to, to be quick and efficient and 
get somebody because you've learned kind of like doing a physical exam. You've learned if I put these words in this sequence for this population and you might change it for a teenager versus a mom with yeah. a young kid or with an elderly woman or, you know, you might modify it. But I think that or the other part is like if you're supervising or you're like you're working with a PA and you're seeing one of the PA's patients like there's often stuff done to that point. So starting with the beginning doesn't work. No, no. Um, yeah, and it's, I'm kind of like, a, how are you feeling right this second? That's my script is like, particularly with residents, I'm like, hey, I, I've been get, catch, catching up and we're working with these people. How do you feeling right this second? And that helps me get to like the now. And they often will then tell me, oh, I'm feeling better. Like they'll put it in a time-based, they won't just say I'm a six. They'll say I'm better or I'm worse or I'm the yeah. same. And I hate the number scale. I'm like, is your pain tolerable? <laughs> Nobody talks in that or term. intolerable, except for the people. And are know. you better or worse? Like, yeah, I yeah, I the whole thing about like your number. I, I really don't care what the number is. Yeah. Like, and and when I give them pain medication, I'm going to tell them I'm not looking to get you pain free. Yeah. Like that because you probably won't be breathing by then. Yeah. So I want to get to a point where your pain is tolerable. Yeah. For you. I just got, I just came from uh, like the other than opioids kind of pain lecture. And I liked, I've used this, but I think she put it up in a slide that like the word pain versus the word suffering. Like I kind of want to, I'm trying to figure out how to identify like, how oh, I want to, I know that you're going to have pain. I'd like you to be able to suffer less about it. And oh. like to try to differentiate between like, there's a lot of people out there that have data. Pain is normal. Like it's, I have a little bit of pain in my back sitting here. I might have a little pain in my neck. Like, yeah. we're all having okay, some pain. I have, I have had chronic migraines since I was five. Like, I had a headache probably yeah. at least half the days of my life. Um, and I take meds when the pain is intolerable. You know, so, like, having a headache and still being functional and going through life is yeah. just life for me. So, part and of so that. the same thing is with back pain and chronic pain. Like there's tolerable and intolerable. Right. Yeah. And I sometimes use like the word like manage, is that manageable, right? Yeah. Manageable pain, which I think gets into that like manageable pain you're less likely suffering from. Yeah. Like where is that? I, I kind of like that word. Just, yeah. And again, it has to be natural and work for you. Yeah. And sometimes it, you know, you'll have words and they don't work for the patient at all. And you got to like really read the nonverbal communication yeah. that people give you. Because um, sometimes like they say I'm in 10 out of 10 pain and they show no signs of discomfort. And they're like talking and going, okay, here's going to be our goals versus somebody who's clearly hurting badly. And they're saying, you know, my pain's a seven. You're like, <laughs> well, you have 10 written all over your face. So just reading the nonverbal communication as much as you do the verbal communication. And I kind of want to tie that back to the, um, the, um, when you had brought up, I'm a five foot woman, a one woman walking into a room yeah, with a lot of confidence. Give me that one in. Sorry. <laughs> uh, like, like you have a lot of nonverbal cues of confidence when you say that, I think. Yeah. Like it's not necessarily the words like I'm walking in, but you're probably walking in with like, I'm in control of this situation. I'm here to help you. And I think that's when, as I was talking to somebody else uh, about like those first few years of practice. And I think people really spend those first few years outside during residency, but particularly once the volume starts to just go up of like refining that, um, like those little bits, like just day after day building, how can I be confident in walking into almost any of these situations yeah. and um, not 
second guessing myself as I walk in the door every time, even on challenging patients that you know before you go in the room, yeah. this is going to be a massive pain in the ass, but I can still figure out the path to get to myself to that confident presentation. Um, do, do you get a sense that, do you remember if that something came to you naturally or do you think that something um, well, that you had I'm a period of low confidence? I've fairly confident person, but no, I mean like, especially when you're a new attending, like, oh my God, you don't feel confident at all. Like you, you really, you're nervous going in. You're like, you don't necessarily know what to expect. And like a lot, some of it is faking it until you make it, but yeah. really just standing outside the door, taking a deep breath and then just walking in, you know, and just, I got this, I got this. And do you perceive uh, being a woman or a shorter woman or something in that, like either, um, what am I, what's my question in there is like, I guess, do you feel like it just, you had to try harder or that it took a while or that you see other colleagues not have that or. Yeah. I mean, uh, for me, the, one of the biggest challenges was when I went out to St. Louis park was the, so I had dealt with the Hmong population a lot during training. And then I went out to St. Louis park and we had a really large um, immigrant Somalian population who uh, were recently immigrated. So they weren't as used to our customs and, like there were so many that just refused for me to be their doctor because uh, I was a woman or they yeah. treat me like very not respectfully. And yeah. when I talked to the woman who came in as a patient, like only the husband would give the history. And so navigating around that yeah. was, was hard. And so, I mean, just really being confident and standing up for myself, you know, when a consultant would yell at me, like yeah, just that's, stand up to them. Because I realized that's the question I had in my head right there. It's like, did that ever get, I'm sure it has, but I'm sure you've had to navigate the borderline between being a bitch and being pushy and being confident. And this is actually yeah. how you have yeah. to be. And you know, like, as a woman, if you're really confident and pushy, you are a bitch. It's just, yeah. it, it's something, and but it's because it's natural traits in a man, like a man to behave like that. But when you do it as a woman and you're very aggressive, it's, yeah, it's very off-putting to people, but I've had a couple consultants and hospitalists along my career that have just been jerks on the phone, like yeah. just really jerks. And the ones that I didn't stand up for myself, like really bothered me later. And really like the relationship just continued to be bad versus the ones that I stood up to and said, I'm sorry, you're clearly not listening to anything I'm saying and I don't appreciate the way you're talking to me. So why don't you call me back later when you can t like, you know, talk a little bit more nicely or be a little more respectful yeah. and like really just standing myself, standing up for myself and saying, this is unacceptable. Yeah. And that it helped tremendously, like just really drawing a line of what you find to be acceptable and unacceptable, even with patients, even with family members, like yeah. just. Yeah, I mean, I, I and had then this, do you just draw the line for them? Like that's not acceptable. Yes, I had one patient. It was amazing. Like he was, he had narcissistic personality disorder, and he started getting really aggressive, and he started inching closer and closer and closer to me. And he was standing at the time, and you know, like I'm short, so he's kind yeah. of starting to tower over me. And I just stopped the conversation, and I said, "I'm sorry, I need you to take a step back because you are violating my personal space." And it was like a switch was turned off. Like he's like, oh, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And he backed off and he like instantly calmed down. So like just realizing that, you know, sometimes you staying calm, but saying this is unacceptable, it goes a long way. Yeah. Do you have uh, another population would be other like emergency department or any nurse 
particularly women nurses and women doctors. Is that a well, difficult area? Yeah. Is that real struggle? It's, it's it's real. I mean, you talk to all the other female doctors, it's real. It's just Is there any you, have you learned any wisdom about navigating that or is it kind of still a pretty um, hard area? It's a pretty hard area. I used to like try to be their friend and that doesn't work so well. And so I think just staying a little bit more separated from all of their drama helps. Do you have it? You have to, you have to approach them differently than like my male partners do. We've been talking a little bit in our group about, um, you know, Dr. Benjamin versus Marnie and how we refer to each other yeah. and how we've probably moved to in the last two decades, a more less formal world, but how that might be at the cost of particularly women not having that privilege of being recognized as a doctor. And, and do you have any sense of that? Like, do you feel like, yeah, I mean, whether, you know, you try to push people one way or the other, or, because I'm sure you can, like, you don't care if you're called Dr. Benjamin, that doesn't make you uncomfortable. Some people early on in their career still are uncomfortable with that. Yeah, I would, yeah, I'd I'd say get comfortable with being a doctor, you know, get, but do you push people the that way farther even like, Hey, I'd prefer to be called Dr. Benjamin. No, no, I'm, I'm fine in non-patient care areas being called by my first name, Yeah, but in front of patients, I do like to be called doctor. Um, but it's, it's challenging. I mean, I'll ask nurses to do stuff and they'll be like really put out that I've asked them, but then I've seen male doctors asking them the same things. And I'm like, Oh sure. Yeah, I got, I'm, I'm yeah. on that. And so I, you know, I'm probably as a woman, we just do our own things more often. Like I go and get my patients their blankets. I get them water. I, you know, I do all of those, which probably slow me down a little bit, but Sometimes now I just, I'm busy. When I'm busy though, I'm like, hey, the patient in room seven needs a blanket and water. Can you please grab that for me? But, you know, making sure to say please and thank you. And yeah, I mean, still using respect and human, but still also saying like, and my role is to do these things. Yeah. Like you can't do my note for me. Well, and that's (laughs) what I keep finding is like, wow, I can do almost everybody's job around here, but no one can do mine. (laughs) Yeah. No, I think that's actually like, I remember talking to Keith Herner a bit and like really being able to comfortable defining your role. And sometimes it is appropriate to do some of those other jobs, get your patient things, but routinely like you have to remember there are some roles they can't do. Um, and therefore you need to make sure. And I think that comes into documentation. I kind of have tried to make sure people realize like you could be documenting while they set up the lac tray or that you could be documenting while they get the ortho cart. And I have to remember that myself because sometimes you're like, it's just over there. I'm just going to get it. That way I can get it off my list oh, and be so done. True. So true. We all do it too. And yeah. you're like, why did I just waste all that time? I could have been finishing. I could have signed two charts and taken those off yeah. my plate. Yeah. And so, yeah, reminding myself of that. And I'm definitely more productive on the days that I, remind myself that I can delegate a lot of these tasks. Yeah. I think that's where it's, I think it's as you build that department culture, being able to find the person or someone and figure out how to respectfully ask them, can you do this? Um, and have both the macro culture as well as that micro culture with that one person, like be able to hand something off to them so you can get back and be efficient with the things that only you can do. Um, that's a really, if you can figure out how to do that more often than not, I think that really contributes to like 
sustainability and practice and feeling like you're supported and that you can take because you're often being asked to do the stuff that nobody else wants to do yeah like deal with the patient who's extremely unruly or has fired their nurse and things like that and you got to be the one that goes in there and tries to get control of the situation so that's where i try to when i get into some of those occasionally i get into like an explicit conversation about well they you know, I don't have to get all that stuff for, it's pretty rare, but I try to be like, we all have different roles and I'm not going to, there's some roles I never take on from a nurse. Like I'm never going to get the Zosin to administer the Zosin. Like that's just never my the, role. I do the oral contrast. You do the oral contrast? Well, yeah. Cause I mean, that's why it, I, especially I mean, when the radiologist wants the hour prep, right? Yeah. So I, if I order the CT with yeah. contrast and it's a half an hour yeah. until they get their contrast, I'm yeah. like, I, no, the clock is starting right now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, no, and that's what yeah. I mean. It's like you yeah. start there's to learn certain, a little There's things. certain things, yeah, they're worth my time. Because like I'm a of little efficiency. bit of like, I'll take your temperature now. I'll, right. Yeah, I will just, <laughs> I don't need to walk out the room and say, can you go take this? I mean, there's an occasionally a time I'll be like, we need to get this temperature or something, but usually I just do it. Yeah, myself. I mean, the, the things that are time sensitive, I'm like, I'm going to take care of those yeah. myself. When I, you know, when I got a head bleed, I'm paging the neurosurgeon myself. Yeah. You know, so there are some things that you just, you have to decide. Yeah. All right. Well, I want to respect your time. You spent a lot of nice time with me. I really appreciate it. Are there any, I always like to wrap up with this sort of a global view of like, um, I think you're really excited about your job. You have evolved it in lots of ways. Is that true? Are you excited about the future of your job? Yeah. I don't, I don't really know where it's going. Um, yeah? <laughs> cause okay. you know, I mean, obviously my life, you know, five years from now when I have no kids at home is going to probably open up different opportunities and yeah. choices for me that I don't necessarily have now. So, yeah. and medicine's changing so rapidly, like who knows what's going to be available to right. me five years from now. So I like that part of it. I love change. You know, it, it yeah. actually, it's exciting to me. Yeah. Um. So I don't know. I mean, just, yeah, I, 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 I love emergency medicine. Every time I think like I'm burned out, I got to look at other things. Yeah. I was like, Oh my God, I'd be bored to tears. Like, I, I make yeah. a difference in people's lives. I I live a purposeful life. So yeah. trying to navigate it and and yeah. looking for those positive impacts is it's 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 fun. So uh, would you recommend it to your kids? God, I don't know because who knows what the future holds. Only if they're passionate about it. You okay. know, like if they yeah. are like God, you know I. I've been thinking about it, and I just really, really want to be a doctor. I'm like, yes, but make sure you really look at all the different fields because yeah. you so you wouldn't categorically not recommend it but you definitely want you'd like you need to be passionate about it you need to be passionate about it and and pick a field it doesn't matter about the money pick a field you love mm. yeah yeah well i'm glad to hear that because i think that there's almost everybody i've interviewed has that answer like that they would recommend it to the right if that person showed the interest in how well, you do give up your 20s so if you don't really have a passion and a commitment it's not worth it <laughs> yeah yeah that is true too yeah i'm reflecting on giving up my 20s as i stare up no makes days. you sad a little yeah well be nice to have a 20 year old body now right boy god yeah the recovery is so fast <laughs> it's true that was that, yeah, yeah there's still lots of uh I'm happy to be where I'm at, but there's definitely times when I'm like, oh, I remember. I remember when I didn't have to worry anything about what I was doing tonight other than where we were going. And I remember I could ski like five days straight and no problem. I could still walk up the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> and 
and do a lot more than just ski five days straight, probably. Yeah, go out like, every night. Go out every night and, yeah, and turn like, around. Yeah. That's not It's not the either. case anymore. Mm-mm. No. Well, uh, again, thank you so much for meeting with me. It's uh, I was sitting here for some reason, it just dumped in my mind that sitting in Chicago testing each other on oral boards. <laughs> I think it was at your mom's house. <laughs> I think it was, yeah. Yeah, because we were like the day before oral oh boards, and for some reason we were both there. It just took me way it's back. It's been a long time since that, unfortunately, or fortunately, but yeah. I very much value our friendship and relationship, and it's been fun to work with you on our epic stuff uh, across the divide. And Likewise. Thank you for being on this and sharing your wisdom. I think you are um, back to that. Um, I, I wanted to mention when we were talking about um, – how your children view you. I, I think one of the things I've brought up with some of like a few of our residents who've just kind of at the end of their pregnancy and maybe, or maybe coming back to work is like, I think it's really like if you can have this mindset of, I want to show my children what a modern woman looks like that doesn't need to have any of that guilt. And I think you like, you nail that. So <laughs> You've really well, had you know, a full-faceted I, career. I You've grew raised up in a kids. Catholic and Jewish family, so I was very familiar with all guilt. <laughs> and it just there's a whole other podcast right there. It just doesn't serve you. Like guilt doesn't. really doesn't serve you. Well, it's been very good that you recognize it, but you've also kept it in its place. So yeah. congratulations for that. <laughs> Thank you. You're still smiling and humorous, <laughs> so that's been great. So thanks again. I really My had pleasure. fun. Thanks. That's kind of where I'm like, I'm trying to figure out when I pitch it. Do I just say, you know what? I'm just going to have a conversation. Because I can send you all these stuff. I don't stick to the script. I probably asked you three of those questions. We'll just end up talking and see where it goes. And it flies by. Yeah, totally. Carolyn McLean would be great. Oh, I'd love to. Because um, I'm trying to build my skill. Of, um, no, you're a good interviewer. Thank you. Yeah. I'm like, uh, particularly people I don't know, like getting, yeah. like it's one thing to just like, we have a lot of history. Yeah. Um, it's another thing to be like, okay, I can read your CV and let me break the ice. Let me set the environment. Yeah, me... I think having that phone call first, yeah, like and getting a, like idea of who they are and that's what, what their wanted. background is, and then kind of going, okay, what do I want to explore more? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. That's been part of it, and helping them get just, just like even just having the phone call becomes like a then they're more they're like oh this isn't yeah. a wacko right and then they're at ease talking to you yeah and I think the other part of it becomes like I'm realizing like the introduction like if you were to give me the introduction like oh this guy is you know I, I can trade on both having an introduction for someone who knows both of us yeah and then I can point to like and if you want to just listen to one yeah. or even 10 minutes of yep. one you can see what happens and so it's not a big deal and that I think has helped me with Laura Schrag and Tom Wyatt, who I'd never met before, but they were very open.
Thanks for listening to this episode of Positively Deviant Emergency Medicine. Please consider subscribing to the podcast wherever you find your podcasts. Or you can listen on the web at positivelydeviant.audio. There you can also leave a comment, tell your colleagues, or tweet me up. It helps spread the word. You can also leave your feedback to make them better, or you can give me your guest suggestions. And here's a standard disclaimer. The thoughts and views expressed in this podcast are those of the individuals alone. No one you heard here represents the organizations where they work. Now that you've heard that, let's shut it down. Until next time, thanks again for listening.